2 Corinthians chapter 5. The title of our message tonight is, Is it a good Friday for you? Is it a good Friday for you? I was reading through passages thinking about this weekend and trying to put my mind around whether I was going to keep going in Matthew or uh, take a break because I, I didn't know if I'd get to the last section of Matthew that I really wanted to try to hit and uh, ran across this passage and was intrigued by it and ended up spending hours trying to figure out what it meant. And so I said, we're going to go with this passage because it's an excellent passage on the, the gospel. It gives a clear presentation of the gospel for tonight, and then we'll see what we do Sunday. It, it's looking like I'm probably going to just keep going and do this ne- the last section from 5.16 to 21 on Sunday because it's just spectacular truth, wonderful truth for us to contemplate. So why are we here tonight? Uh, it's Friday night. The weekend is here. The storm has passed. Most of the world is kicked back, relaxing. The week's over. Much of the world celebrates by beginning to drink their worries away. Much of the world wants to do anything but examine themselves and humbly submit and worship God on a Friday night. So why are we here tonight? Are you motivated to be here tonight? Is there a reason for you to come tonight? Is it a good Friday for you? That's why we're here, right? We're here because it is a good Friday for us. We come tonight to worship, to humbly remember what Christ has done for us, to reflect again on the gospel, to preach to our hearts how much Christ loves us and be reminded of how much he loves us. So what is our motivation for being here? Put simply, it's the love of Christ. And so Paul has that same motivation as he's speaking to the Corinthians. He's unfolding his motivation for ministry. There has been attacks from other people within the the Corinthian church that have attacked him and he's had to defend himself a little bit And so in this section, he begins to unfold why. Why is he serving? Why is he ministering? And his motivation is the same motivation we're here tonight. And that is to worship and honor our Lord. He loves us and we know it. So we want to serve him. We want to know him and we want to worship him. So look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is one of the motivations that Paul gives us, a wonderful motivation for us to contemplate. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. There's his motivation. It's the love of Christ. Paul explained why he ministers and serves to the Corinthians. That's what he's been doing in this book. Not quite as uh, harsh as he is in 1 Corinthians. It looks as though there has been some repentance that's happened within the church. And so there is some reconciliation that's happened with them. Paul is defending himself, however, against uh, maybe the thorn in the flesh. Somebody that's in the church that's just constantly harassing them. Paul just finished explaining in verses 1 to 10 the judgment that the believers will face. 
Yes, you heard that right. The judgment that the believers will face at the judgment seat of Christ. In verses 1 to 10, you say, well, I didn't think we were going to suffer judgment and we weren't going to face judgment. We were, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not going to be judged, right, if we're true believers. Well, this is a judgment seat of Christ where not that we are sent to hell, but we lose reward and we face our judge, our Lord who bought us, who died for us, and we want to be pleasing to him. There is a day where we're going to stand before him as believers. And that's what he talks about in 5, 1 to 10. Then Paul begins to explain his motivation, again, of his ministry to them. In verses 11 to 15, that's what this section is all about, is his motivation for ministry to them. First, Paul uh, explains in verse 11, look at it. In verse 11, he explains his reverential fear of Christ is what motivates him. In light of facing Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, the day that we're going to stand before him, in light of who he is and that he's Lord of all, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. So Paul's motivation is what? His reverential fear of God. Do we as believers have a fear of God? Yes. Do we have a fear of Christ? Yes. Is it one that says, oh, no, we're going to be sent to hell? No, that's not our fear. But we do have a fear of who he is, that he is the Lord. He is our master. He's the one that bought us. He's the one that's in control, sovereign control of all things. And that one day we will stand before him. And we have a a, a, a reverential fear of him, a good and healthy fear of him. And we also know that he is a just judge. And so it pro- provokes us and motivates us to share the truth with others, with those that don't know him and those that do know him. A right understanding of who Christ is. That was his first motivation Paul alludes to. Then Paul states, God has witnessed his service and God knows his heart And Paul was confident that the Corinthians knew he was genuine in his service of the Lord. You see this in the rest of verse 11 and 12 and 13. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. A good proud here, by the way. So that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. In other words, you know what I'm about. You know my heart. You know I'm about Christ. I'm all about Him. And finally then, in verse 14 and 15, what I kind of want to focus in on is Paul explains what is his primary motivation of service. What is his primary motivation of service? And he expands it to all believers. He says, in effect, we're all motivated by this truth, by the gospel. And I hope that that's why you're here tonight. You're motivated by the same thing that motivated Paul to serve. And it's the same thing that got you out here tonight on a Friday night. It's the love of Christ, isn't it, beloved? Look at it. In verse 14, he states, For because the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. So, what is the this? We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's talk a little bit about this whole idea of being controlled by the love of Christ. 
Some say the love of Christ here is not uh, Christ's love for us or for Paul, but it's our love for Christ, the love of Christ. That is that Paul's love for Christ is what controls him. Is that what he's talking about? I would argue it's not. That's not what the situation's about. It's, it's about Christ's love for us that controls us. You say, well, how do you know? Well, the context, obviously, because the next thing talks about Christ's love for us. And it develops that. Christ's love for us is what controls us. Paul knew full well that Christ loves him and loves all believers. Jesus loved him by what? Saving him. Jesus was loving him by continually interceding for him to the Father. And Jesus would love him till the end. He understood the good news of Jesus Christ that Jesus loves us. So why are we here on Friday night? Probably the same exact reason because we know Jesus loves us. You say, well, that's awfully simple, Pastor Mike. That's what you wanted to say tonight? Yeah. That's why we're here. What a glorious truth. Christ loves us. That's enough, isn't it? It should be enough to control us in everything we do, right? It's why we get up in the morning. It's why we share the gospel with others. It's why we serve one another. It's why we serve our families. It's why we take the Lord's Supper. It's why we come to church. It's why we do everything because the love of Christ controls us. It impels us. It compels us. It motivates us. So this love of Christ was the controlling influence in Paul's life. It was why he lived. Christ's love was everything to Paul. Galatians 2.20, he states, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's it. So why are we out here on a Friday? The same exact reason. He died for us. He gave himself up for us. This love for Christ is what not, was not just... For Paul, but he states, notice in your verse, verse 14, the love of Christ for us. Very important. Very important to set your context because we're going to talk about some very deep things in a second. So make sure you get your context. The love of Christ for us. For us. Who's the us? It's all who what? Believe. It's all who are trusting in Him. It's all those He has chosen. It's all those who He has called. The love of Christ was the motivation for the Corinthian believers too. And it's the motivation for all of us in the room, isn't it? You know, we often say that, that, and we even say this to our loved ones that don't know Christ. We say, you know, God loves you. Christ loves you. And they don't get it, do they? Does it motivate them? It doesn't motivate them. If it motivated them, then they would be what? They'd be saved and they'd be serving Him and they would be loving Him and enjoying Him and He'd be better than everything in this world, wouldn't it? 
The context is very clear that it's the love of Christ that compels us, that takes us out of here on a Friday night instead of being out like the world, partying. This is, I would never want to be anything anywhere but here. How about you? I want to be here. I want to take the Lord's Supper tonight. I want to fellowship with you who are in Christ because Christ loves us. That's the context. Paul and the believers were certain of Christ's love for them. Notice it says, notice, having concluded this. You say, who concluded this? Well, this is a, uh, here we go, we're going to give you a little bit of grammar, a plural participle, a plural participle. What's that have to do with anything? Why would you even bring up that it's plural? Well, because Paul is assuming that the believers, the Corinthian believers, are a part of this conclusion. They have concluded also. They know it for a fact. How many of you know for sure, and you don't have to raise your hand, that Christ loves you? That's a, you say, well, I think he does. No, he does. If you've been born again and you love him, you know him, you trust him, you know that he loves you. He's made you alive in him. That's the point. Paul will do anything. He'll take any kind of beating. He'll take any kind of service. He'll take any kind of harassment. Why? Because he knows Christ loves them. This is our message too, by the way, isn't it? We'll see this Sunday. This is what we're about, aren't we? Our life is about proclaiming this to the world, isn't it? You say, well, Mike, you mean you tell people that Christ loves them? <laughs> yes, I tell them that Christ loves them when they trust in him. He, all of their sins are paid for. That's great love. Great love. And all of us who know this love and know our sins are forgiven. We have concluded this. We've come to a resolved conclusion. We know it. He loves us. So we're here for Friday, on Friday night because we're resolved and concluded that Christ loves us. Just that simple? Yeah, just that simple. But yet profound, isn't it? It's so profound that he just unfolds the whole gospel in the rest of the verses. In two verses, in just a couple sentences, unfolds the whole gospel in just a few sentences. Look at it. The believer is controlled by the love of Christ, knowing emphatically and conclusively Christ died for all. And all died. And all and Christ died so that we might live not for ourselves, but for him who died on our behalf. Again, the context tells you the all. It really does. It describes who the all is there. The context is talking about the believer. It's very clear in that context that's what it's talking about. It is the gospel that constrains us, isn't it? It's the thing that motivates us. Does the gospel motivate an unbeliever? Does the love of Christ motivate an unbeliever? No, it doesn't. So is it possible that there's some here that don't know the love of Christ? Is it possible? Absolutely. 
There could be reasons that we're here, that we're motivated to be here, that are not the love of Christ and that Christ died for us. It could be that you're here because your parents said you got to go here. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the love of Christ, that you understand that Christ died for you. And so for the kids that are in the room, you might be contemplating this. You might be thinking, does Christ love me? If you turn to him and trust him, you can know that you know that you know that he loves you. He loves you personally. I don't care what age you are. If you see your sin and you recognize your sin and your need of a savior and you cry out to him and say, I believe I need you. Guess what? Your sins are forgiven. You believe in him. Your sins are forgiven. And you can know that he loves you. That's good news, isn't it? So the gospel constrains the believer. It impels us to die to self and live for Christ, as we'll see. I kind of want to illustrate this with you. I don't know. You're probably arguing with your, in your mind over me and, and over this section. Is the all talking about everybody without exception, or is it talking about the believer and you might be debating this whole thing about the atonement and all this stuff in your mind. But I just, again, I think a context. I think there's plenty of verses that, can, that you can argue with on either side. Okay, this is, a, this is one, though, that if you look at the context, it doesn't apply that he's even talking about that. I think it would be like this illustration here. We are an illustration of us and our country. We are motivated to serve our country and honor our flag because we know of the sacrifice of veterans of armed services made for all. Did you hear how I word that? Listen again. We are motivated to serve our country because we know of the sacrifice that veterans of armed services have made, their sacrifices made for all. Now, if I say that in this context, everybody says, okay, I get it, because we're all what? Americans, we're all a part of that group. The context is obvious that that's what he's talking about. That's what I'm talking about, right? I think that's his context here. The motivation is very clear. The motivation is Christ's love for us. You know, one of my hardest things doing in counseling, I'm just going to lay it out there real simple. The, you know, we try to we make counseling very, very difficult. How do we get people to how do we get people to put off sin and, and forsake sin and enjoy Christ and do all these things? How do we do it? You know the simplest answer to it, and I said it in one time in one of my classes at seminary and everybody laughed at me. It's knowing that Christ loves us. You know, we can never get that across to somebody that is all consumed with the world. But if we know that he loves us, that he died for us, that will make you slay any sin that you have. Won't it? It motivates us. It motivates us to do things crazy, like forgive people that hurt us, or turn the other cheek, or to come out on a Friday night when it's beautiful outside, just to serve and worship our King. This love, this love of Christ is what compels us. It restrains us. It persuades us. It's the love of Christ. However, Paul does, not ex- does explain the gospel here in some general terms. Notice in verse 14 and 15, the proof is, used, is found in verse 15. 
themselves. Why didn't he say ourselves? Now that does throw a little wrench in it. If you look at it, look at it at the end. He says, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. That's a general sense, isn't it? It's third person, themselves instead of ourselves. So Paul is speaking in general of all believers who have died in Christ, who live for him, not themselves. We understand that that is what it's all about. This is a short, concise gospel presentation, and I kind of want to run through it real quick again. Look at it. The love of Christ explained. One died for all. Who's the one? Christ. It's Jesus. He died for all. The context again is the believers, the the ones motivated by Christ's love for them. Jesus died an atoning death for all of us who believe in him. Again, it's not our belief that caused him to die for us either. You understand that. (laughs) It was God's great love. He loved us first. It wasn't us. It wasn't anything that he looked down the corridors of time and said, oh, yeah, that guy's going to love me, so he's going to believe in me, so I'll die for him. No, it doesn't work that way. God loves us not because we're worthy of being loved. We're the most wretched of sinners here tonight. Why us? One died for us, all of us, not because we deserved it. But notice it's tied real closely Therefore, all died. Therefore, all died. The therefore is tightly linked to Christ's death. And again, if you were to say that death is talking generally about all people here, the problem with that is is that how does that link with Christ died? That doesn't make any sense. If you said, Adam sinned, so therefore all died, that might make a little bit more sense. But his point is what? Christ died for all Therefore, all died. The all must be died in Christ, all who died in Christ. That's all of us who have died with him. You say, well, I didn't die with him. Did you die with him? Yes, you did. You died with him when you were born again, died to your old self, and became new in Christ. This is the same wording that Paul uses in Romans chapter 6. It's the same thing. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We'll talk about that in a second. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. That's what he's talking about here. Christ died for all, therefore what? All died. That's the union that we have with Christ, that we died with him, the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, as we'll talk about in a second. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin oh beloved aren't we here we know the love of christ and we're free from bondage to sin because we died with him that's good news isn't it 
So what brought me out here tonight? It's my death with Christ. That Christ died for me, and therefore I died with him. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2. It's that union we have with Christ. He's talking about the, call it the mythical union, or the mystical, rather, not mythical, mystical union every true believer has with Christ. We died with him. Notice back to 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, and, and he died for all. Wait a second. Didn't he say that already? Didn't he already say that? Paul already said he died for all. Yes, he did. But this time, God gives the purpose that Christ's sacrificial death. He says, so that, so that. What is the purpose of Christ's death for us? What is it? There's a negative purpose and then a positive purpose. He says, Christ died for all so that believers wouldn't do something. And so that believers would do something. That's what he says, a positive or a negative and then a positive. The negative is what? So that they who might, might live, rather, so that they who live, if we died with him, it's an automatic that we what? Live with him too. We're now alive with him. So that they who live might no longer what? Live for themselves. Okay, here we go. Isn't this the motivation of every believer? It's that we don't live for ourselves anymore. So why are we here tonight? We're here for him. We're not here for us. We're here for him because he died for us. This is the purpose of our life now. We no longer live for ourselves anymore. You say, well, Pastor Mike... That's great to say on a Friday night when we're here worshiping and just about to take the Lord's Supper. I'm feeling very holy right now. But what about all week? Yeah, you're with me. So I study the passage, a little bit of conviction probably comes in and you say, but I do what I wish I wouldn't do and I don't always do what I wish I would do. And boy, I am still in this body of death. Take me home, Lord Jesus. who we are in these bodies of death is not who we are ultimately. Who we are ultimately is who we are in Christ. I've died with him so I consider myself dead with Christ and alive for him and to serve others. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. And it's a good Friday, isn't it? The living ones wait. We believe, we trust, we walk. Now, if we have died with Christ, Romans 6, 8 to 11, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, Sunday's already happened for us. <laughs> right? Resurrection Sunday's already happened for all of us who have believed, right? We're just going to worship what's already a reality for our lives because Christ is alive even on Friday for us. Because he died and then he was raised from the dead and is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, beloved, listen, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What was the purpose of Christ's death for us? Is so that we who live may no longer live for ourselves, but we may live for him. And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, we close with this, the positive purpose, but that we or they might live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What a glorious, aren't these great verses? Makes you want to just memorize them, right? Oh, Lord, help me to remember these and apply these great truths to my heart all the time. This brings Paul full circle, doesn't it? The believer, Paul, is motivated to live for others and God because of what God did for him and us. Why did Paul minister in hard circumstances? Why did he continue to serve the Corinthians even when there were some in the church, some who were in the church who harassed him? It was his reverential fear of Christ and his love of Christ that he understood the love that Christ had for him. This is why we're here tonight. This is why we take the Lord's Supper. This is why we come to church. This is why we serve. This is why we get up in the morning. This is why we do everything we do. Because Christ died for us and he rose from the dead. And we live with him now. And we want to serve him. So the question is obvious for all of us. Did he die for you? (laughs) Have you trusted in him? Are you alive in him? Are you in union with him? If so, are you ready to take the Lord's Supper and worship him? For he deserves to be worshipped, doesn't he? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord, who came into the world to die, to pay for sin, to pay for our sin, so that we could live for you and live for others, live to proclaim this glorious gospel. God, it does not matter what happens to us, no matter how difficult things may come. Just the truth of knowing that Christ loves us is enough to compel us, to lead us, to direct us. And Lord, as we come to the Lord's Supper now, we pray that you will help us to examine our hearts. We pray that you will help us to see if there's any sin within our hearts. And we know, Lord, that what we need to do, if if there is, is to turn to you and to confess our sins to you. And Lord, we know that no matter what we've done, if we cry out to you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, we know, we know that you do not want us to somehow clean ourselves up to get forgiveness. We know that our, our, our right standing with you is decided by what Christ has done for us. And we then know that no matter how bitter or whatever has been in our souls, that we can then turn to you and trust you that all of our sins are paid for. And so we cry out to you, God, please forgive us of our sins. Help us, Lord, to just trust you, to know that you love us, 
And help us now to enjoy the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ Jesus did for us. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.